Welcome to the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. I'm your host, Gary Durbin. I've been a worship leader for over 20 years, and I've learned a lot from so many on this journey. On this podcast, we'll have conversations and explore the dynamics of leading worship in the local church. A year ago, I launched this podcast, and it's been fun to have these conversations about worship and ministry. This episode is a recap of highlights from our first season. More Than a Worship Leader started as a concept and then turned into a book and now a podcast. I'm grateful that you're listening, and if you would, do me a favor and take a moment to review it, share it, and also check out my books. You can get both More Than a Worship Leader and More Than a Band on Amazon for you and your teams. To kick it off, here is a clip from my first interview with Ben Abusada, and we talked about healthy identity in ministry. I think if you can, if you can get beyond that idea of the surface stuff that involves worship leadership, generally speaking, even age and all that stuff, and find at the core, what is it that truly is a worship leader? What makes someone who leads others in worship? It's not that you're five, five feet above other people at the front of a room holding a guitar or a microphone. It's how are you engaging with others and pointing them to Christ through your life, through everything you do. And I think if you can flip that switch in your mind from worship leadership being performing on a stage and that kind of thing, it it becomes easier as your life goes on and you know and slowly things start to change. You don't even realize it, but your role begins to change and you find yourself in more of a mentorship position than you are on a stage. Um, so I think if you can embrace that in yourself and that those types of things, that mentality will help you shift personally. Now, the things I was just talking about, the external stuff, I mean, your church leaders and that kind of thing, I think different churches, they handle worship differently you know they have expectations that are that are that they put on their worship teams that that are um you know they create insecurity in worship leaders and becomes incredibly difficult to meet standards for them because they think they need to meet a certain performance standard on a stage versus a performance standard of investing in young people um so you know and that can be extremely difficult so and unhealthy for a for a worship leader but personally if you can shift your mindset to being more centered towards uh, Christ and, and understanding that worship is not just standing at the front of a room singing songs. I think that'll be super helpful. This next one is from a friend of mine and a mentor. His name is Troy Kennedy in Kansas City. He and I talked about discipleship and worship. And, and I know you have a book coming out in the near future about discipleship. I'm excited about that. Definitely want to have you back on to talk yeah, about thanks. that. That's That really excites me as someone who is passionate about discipleship as well. Mm-hmm. I really hope that worship leaders or church leaders listening to this will get inspired to, yeah, look at the spiritual growth of the people that they're leading and shepherding. That's yeah, such yeah. an amazing calling. Well, and the truth is... Um, Discipleship is a team sport. You know, it's not just the pastor. It's it's the church, it's the pastor, it's the local church, it's the small group, it's the worship team, it's the uh, 
the mentors, it's the spiritual friendships, it's all of those things are a part of the discipling of anybody. It's just not always as intentional and organized maybe as it could be. But um, yeah, so worship, I mean, the worship team, all that, it's absolutely a component of discipleship. The songs that you pick are giving people a heart vocabulary and their intimacy with Jesus. And that is absolutely a discipling mechanism. By now, you've probably heard of Natalie Runyon. She's an author and speaker and leader of the movement Raised to Stay. I actually met her years ago when she was a worship leader. And in this interview, we talked about her time with New Life, the church in Colorado, and her role there. New Life is, you're right, what you see is true. Um, John Egan, Pastor John Egan, has been there for about 25 years. Glenn Packham. Um, you know, we have an incredible team. We have Micah Massey there now from 10,000 Fathers, and um, he wrote Your Presence is Heaven to Me. But despite all of their successes, the worship culture at New Life is a beautiful culture, and it's one that has been cultivated out of pain. If you know the history of New Life, and you can see that there is a spirit of longevity in that house where people um, there are very committed to um, the people of God, and they're also committed to the city. And so what you see is is true. And coming into it, you know, being a 38-year-old female, I knew that my role there as a worship leader would probably be a little bit shorter because women, and this is another podcast probably, but women have a different um, longevity cycle in worship than men, whether we like it or not. It's very rare to see a woman in her mid-40s still leading worship. Usually we age out into another area of the church, and it's a very sad reality for us. Um, And so we almost have to have a backup plan. It's almost like if I'm not leading worship, what's my second favorite thing to do in the church? And this is why I teach so heavily in the Raised to Stay community about not being a one-trick pony for God, because he has given us more tools in our tool belt than just one thing. But as worship leaders, I think it's really easy for us to hold on to our microphone and be like, I'm not going anywhere. This is what I do. And it becomes an identity. And for me, it had become an identity. I felt very proud that God had brought me to new life, that I was on that team with these incredible men, that I got to be trusted with this congregation. And about two years in, that was taken. That was um, a conversation that was really hard. It's like, we see this other thing in you. We want to move you into more of a teaching and writing capacity. And I fought it. I fought it so hard because my identity was so wrapped up in being a worship leader. And I just felt God asked me, are you okay if I take this from you or are you going to make me pry it from your cold, dead hands? And I will tell you that I about made him pry it from my cold, dead hands. I remember sitting in this office way down the hall, all by myself in transition away from my worship friends and journaling that day. Like, God, I'm a kind of done. Like, I feel like you bait and switched me. I feel like you dangled this carrot in front of me of like, I'm going to live my best worship dreams. And then it just was taken. And it was a year of wrestling with the Lord as I moved into women's ministry and really fought that because I did not want to be a women's pastor. Um, And so now, you know, I look back on that and I see the goodness of God in that he has been so gracious to me. And had I held on to worship, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, which is running a ministry called Raise This Day running women's ministry at new life that is thriving and healthy and so abundant. And I learned a huge lesson that God 
will always change his method and how he uses his people, not to bait and switch us, but to confuse an enemy who is hellbent on, on destroying the church. And he needed me to not be a one trick pony. He needed me to use other tools in my tool belt. And uh, three years later, here we are. And it's still terrifying because I'm still more comfortable leading worship than I am speaking. Um, but he's entrusted it to me. So that's where we are now. When I was just getting started in worship ministry, the very first book I read was called The Complete Worship Leader. So in this clip, I had the honor of having a great conversation with the author of that book. His name is Kevin Navarro, and he talks about the relationship between the pastor and worship leader. Well, it's really it's really easy, uh, depending on the size of the church, if it's a larger church, right, to, um, as a worship leader, to really get siloed. You know, like, here's the thing I do. I I lead teams and, you know, work on the rotations and work with teams helping me, you know, develop services and um, whatnot. And everything gets focused on uh, the worships, the worship community, the worship teams, the worship service. But what a senior pastor is is doing. And uh, in my case, I was a worship pastor for nine years. And then in the same church that I was the worship pastor, I was called to eventually become the senior pastor for the next 14 years. So I served in that church for 23 years before I uh, eventually God called me out to serve a mission agency. But as a senior pastor, what I realized that the difference for me being a worship leader is I was just concerned about the worship service and the worship worshiping community primarily those the artist the art maybe the artistic community and so that was my domain so to speak of of shepherding but when you were pastoring uh particularly as a lead pastor as a, as a senior pastor you're just you're not just thinking about the worship service you're thinking about the overall mission and where this overall church is going and how this worship service fits into this bigger picture and so one of the things that uh, can be really helpful is that relationship between senior pastor and worship pastor is for the senior pastor to really have a really dynamic relationship with the worship pastor to share their heart in terms of what what God has put on their heart. And also for the worship pastor to be curious, to really have a great relationship as best they can. Uh, you know, again, depending on the size of the church, I understand uh, reporting happens differently with executive pastors and things like this, but to, to the best of our ability, leading upward, really trying to have dynamic relationships with those that are in leadership above us to understand their heart and where the overall where this overall thing is going, where's this bus going? So to speak, kind of using that Jim Collins analogy, you know, where's this bus going, getting on that right bus, getting in the right seat. And I think you could apply that to the, the worship context as well. Where's what's the mission of this church? And then how does the worshiping context fit into the overall mission of the church? And that's not to make the worship service or anything subservient to like say evangelism or those kinds of things, but it's just trying to understand the context of this overall thing that we're doing. If you've been involved with kids ministry, you've probably heard of Yancey. She's a Dove Award winning artist and she specializes in kids worship. So I hope you enjoy this clip here. Yeah. Well, I think kind of twofold. I think one, it, it's not every single place, but I would say it's a common thing that I see 
churches out there doing where they have just reduced what kids worship is to just being a super duper fun oriented kind of song. And it's like what they're looking for out of a kid's worship song is just to make the whole room spin to the left three times. And, you know, and it's like, that's what they want from it. And like, that's all they're looking for from it. And so on one hand, it's just like, let's stop reducing down what kids worship could be because yes, can a song get the whole room moving? It can. And that is a tool, you know, that even I am going to use intentionally, but that's not going to be the only kind of song I ever do with them. And so in a, in a bigger grand palette sort of way, it's thinking through the set or if your songs are very limited and you don't get to do much every single week, then let's think through throughout the month. How do we accomplish some different things musically from week to week instead of just kind of do playing the exact same card every time there's a song spot to happen? So on one hand, I would just kind of say that, which there's a whole much bigger conversation than we can dive into at the moment. But then I think the other flip side to it really is just teaching kids what worship is. This next one is from my conversation with Brandon Dempsey. He's from the Worship Team Training University, and he talks about the hot topic of spiritual abuse. I'd say there's three things. Number one, you're not alone. There are way more many people out there who have been abused and victimized, but just in different ways than you. But that doesn't take away what happened to you, because what happened to you, the reason why it hurts is because it matters. What matters is your healing. Secondly, it's not your fault. Any abuse is not your fault. It's out of your control. You didn't see it coming. And no one wakes up one day saying, well, I just want to be abused one day. Or today is the day I want to step into a church and incur this kind of abuse by others. No one walk, No one wakes up that way. And no one wants to have life that way. And Basically, abuse is an intrusion. It's, it's an infiltration of evil. And we are, that's what makes the victim the victim and the abuser the abuser. So it's not your fault. And those are the words that were spoken to me that really freed me in my life because there is no sense of me trying to live my life out of shame or in fear or hiding it any longer because of some reason that I, you know, either I feel like I'm in love or rejected those things are not true. In fact, I'm more worthy in God's eyes. I, I find myself more um, identified with Christ through, in a weird way to say it, through my abuse, because that is what God not only saved me from, but what he's continuing to heal. And then thirdly, is that, that that's the point right there. You can be healed. That's the reality of it. That's the great news of it is that you can be healed from your abuse. There is hope. God is real. Not just the same God that we talk about in Sunday school or try to brand our church as real. But when I see the wounds that Jesus took for me, not just on the cross, but the all the the abusive words and, and um, the reactions of others, that he came across and how people rejected him, shamed him, isolated him, uh, betrayed him, misused him, abused him. All those things helped me identify and realize that, well, that's 
That's the biggest reason why I know I'm not alone, because Jesus went through it before I did. This next one's from a conversation I had with a friend of mine who is a worship leader and also associate pastor at a church in Pennsylvania. His name's Todd Stanley. And in this conversation, we talked about true success as a worship leader. Well, man, I think success as a worship leader is measured in the same way that success for any other follower of Christ is, and that is faithfulness, right? If if you are faithfully pursuing relationship with Jesus and you're being faithful to do the things that he's called you to do, that's success, right? It's not measured in, uh, in, in numbers. It's not measured in, you know, um, you know, and here's the thing, like, if we're being faithful to what God's called us to do, then then some of those other metrics will come along with that. I truly believe that. Uh, but those can't be the things that that we are aiming at. Uh, we have to be aiming at, at faithfulness. You know, I, I often think about, uh, you know, Jeremiah, you know, at the beginning of his ministry. I mean, God essentially told him, hey, I want you to go and preach to these people. By the way, no one's going to listen. Right. Jeremiah never had a single convert in his ministry, but he was successful because he was faithful. Hmm. Right? He was obedient to what God had called him to do. I had the awesome privilege to interview my dad for the podcast this past year. He was in ministry my whole life. And in this clip, he gives advice for worship leaders today. I think I think the biggest thing is, number one, don't forget where you came from. Um, don't get, don't take yourself too seriously. And think about those that are all around you as you worship. Don't ever lose sight of that uh, fact that God has given you every ability that you have. And um, I guess really approach the the platform as humbly as possible because people will walk away thinking about you as somebody that wasn't into yourself as much as when you're a humble person they'll they'll remember you as that person and they're more receptive if you have a humble spirit I've felt like I'm I'm almost 70 years old and I feel like that I'm still learning and I don't want to ever quit learning this next one is from my conversation with Tony Guerrero he's from California he's been involved in many churches including Saddleback Church with Rick Warren uh, in this clip he really gives some great insight on the idea of volunteering in your church uh, again, it's incumbent on us to be very intentional about how we treat them. One of the things that I did for my own personal, um, just for my own personal philosophy on this and that I encouraged others to do is to, uh, I made sure that I was volunteering at the church. Uh, let me back up. I'm going to say it this way. It wasn't part of my role there that I had to show up to play at a funeral on a Saturday. So when I was asked to do that, technically I was volunteering to do it. But I realized for anybody on the outside, they just saw that as my role. I was being paid to be a musician at Saddleback. That's part of my role. Um, and it dawned on me that I had to, I wanted to be able to show 
that I was volunteering. So I made sure to volunteer in an area of, at church that had nothing to do with music or the creative arts. So I, um, I helped facilitate apologetics classes. I taught in the classes. I presented. I did presentations. Like I, I did a lot of work in the um, apologetics ministry as a volunteer because I needed to be able to know that when I'm demanding something of somebody else that same thing is being demanded on me because I still have to go to my job the next day and I still have to do my regular work too. And um, so I do encourage people in our position when you're overseeing volunteers to make sure you're also volunteering and not that you announce it to everybody, but let it be visible, like let people know that you're doing that as well, because I, I think it matters. I think it, it, um, it helps us to understand what they're going through too. The minute those, the minute we're the place we're volunteering starts demanding a lot on us, we start to see what it feels like from the other end. And I just think that's important. And and I don't think it's okay to just do it for a season. Like I think as long as we're in this role, we should be doing that. Now I say that I'm new in the role at my church now, and I can't say I've done that yet in my new position, but I, I was doing that at Saddleback for all those years. Um, and so that is something that I'm I'm looking at now that I'm more entrenched in this role at my new church is where am I going to start meeting that, that role again? And last but not least, this is from my conversation with my great friend, Rich Kirkpatrick. He's the author of a brand new book called Mind Blown. And in this clip, he talks about captivating our church with creativity. I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to help people's affections and human heart be moved about it. And because otherwise what happens is we're just looking for a transaction. We're not looking for that. So captivating somebody, you prepare a meal, which is a good metaphor for worship, right? So you're a chef preparing a meal, you set a table, and all the elements of how it's served, you want to captivate somebody. You want them to sit at that table and enjoy that food for everything you put into it. And there might be layers and things people aren't going to get to. So if you sit at that table and you just put in a fast food bag and you say, I'm feeding you, you know, it's like the plants just exist for just eating. But if you're saying this more than that, there's something dignified about you sitting in one space at a point in time and seeing the miracle of it. Because what I mean about that, too, is miracles happen in time and space. So the birth of Jesus happened on a date in a certain spot on the planet. The resurrection, same thing. And that's, it's, it's just like there's containers for it. So captivating means I need, I'm creating a space so that a miracle can happen. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm the person who's creating the space. Like the chef prepares the food for the table. The experience that people have is still up to them. I'm just opening up that possibility for folks. So as a creator, a sub-creator, as Tolkien calls us, I think very wisely, that's what we do. Thanks so much for listening during this first season. I'm excited for the conversations coming in season two, which will start in January. Keep listening and keep striving to be more than a worship leader. Stay tuned for the next episode of the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. I'd greatly appreciate you subscribing and sharing. Thanks for listening.